It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs and radio show auditors, Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. Josh just caught a mistake I made right as we were getting going. It doesn't happen very often, Mike. Yep. Well, we're here to help, Mike. So the Roth IRA does not have a required minimum distribution once you turn age 72 like the IRA does. But do you have to take a required minimum distribution from a Roth 401k? We're going to hit that and much more on this episode. I'm just going to say there's no stinking way. There's no way. But we're going to talk about it right now. <laughs> this entire this entire episode, usually we've got a headliner topic. That's the headliner topic today. But we're going to hit lots of questions from fans of the show. We've got a long list. So looking forward to get into that. Uh, if you have a question for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you have any needs or questions on your own situation, we're here to help as well. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574 574- 222-2000 online, wisemoneyshow.com is where you can shoot an email to us or get more info on the show. Most questions come through social media, though, the YouTube channel specifically. So wherever you're at, search The Wise Money Show, follow us there, and then leave comments, leave questions there, and uh, we'll engage with you that way. So first question here comes from James on YouTube. Most of them do come from the YouTube channel. All right, so here's what he says. My understanding is that even a Roth 401ks have required minimum distributions. Why is that the case? I thought that the only reason the government makes you take the RMD is for them to get their tax money. Good question. <laughs> there's lots of these good questions. Like, it, There's all kinds of sections of the tax code that you're like, why did they do that? It, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And it turns out that uh, Congress makes mistakes sometimes they they make rules that don't make a whole lot of sense and this is one that i think james you're not the only one that's maybe scratching your head it doesn't follow the normal flow or the normal logic that seems to apply to other roth iras and and so on but we were talking about it before the show yep and i asked the same question well is there a logical reason there is no logical reason and, and uh, you know and i wasn't in the room when they talked through this but the <laughs> the rumor is that they either it was either either an oversight in uh that so it was unintentional or there was some intentionality that they just said listen we're not going to continue writing and adding more to this it 401ks have required minimum distributions end of story end of story Mm -hmm. so basically the roth feature of the 401k is newer right over Mm -hmm. the past what what'd you say 10 years, 15 years. Uh, we're getting old, so they all kind of blur together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and when that was created, yeah, either Congress intentionally left it out or they just said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to keep writing on this. It, it, it follows 401k laws instead of Roth laws. And I mean, that makes sense. You have to pick one or the other. If a, if a Roth 401k is kind of a 401k, kind of a, a Roth, which one, which, school of thought are you going to follow and they pick the 401k the rest of us i think would have picked the roth ira to follow it's very possible that they fix this and i hope they do especially with the popularity around uh the 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 roth 401k it's very very likely we're in a roth movement right now i mean we are spending money like crazy debt is increasing and we've tried this experiment 
called Modern Monetary Theory. That's a topic for another show where uh, government can print as much money as they need to to create progress for their citizens. Um, and there's no consequence. They can't create inflation and the debt never needs to be repaid. Very possible. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's modern monetary theory. And we've embarked on that uh, for the past couple decades. And then we ramped it up like crazy in response to COVID. I think we're realizing that that has failed. I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll go back to avoiding it completely. But I, I think it, it, to the extreme, we've realized it's it's failed. And with all of that, you mix it up and psh, advantage or off. Let's go. So it's very possible they change this. But you ask an interesting question, James. Why is this the case, right? I thought the only reason the government makes you take the required minimum distribution is for them to get their tax money. Well, let's think about this. When you withdraw money, when you're required to draw money out of your pre-tax IRA or pre-tax 401k, yes, you've got to report that money on your tax return. End of story. With a Roth, you don't. Well, you've got to report it. It's just not taxable. But that money then needs to be repurposed. Right. It can't just sit in your Roth anymore. So it's repurposed by you spending dollars, helps the economy. Okay. That's never a reason, especially when your spouse tells you that's why they needed to buy that truck or whatever. But that money could go, it's spent so it helps the economy, or it goes into a taxable account that the government can then tax. Yeah, but the point is that it's coming out of the tax shelter of the Roth itself. Right. They, they don't want that money out of reach forever. They want to get it out from underneath that tax shelter so that it, as you said, either goes into some sort of spending or it gets into another account that is going to be taxable at, at some point. So they're putting an end date, essentially, on how long you can shelter this money from taxes. But here's the thing. You have a choice. You don't have to leave your Roth 401k in your 401k. You don't have to. While you're working, there's no required minimum distribution. So mm-hmm. we're, and, and even for pre-tax, we've talked about that before. After age 72, or if they move it to 73, then 74, then 75, just to confuse you. By the way, that is the proposal. We'll see if they do that. Um, you you don't have to leave it in there. If you're still working, there's no required minimum distribution. It's just in the year that you uh, stop working, if you're over the required beginning date age, 72 mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. then you're forced to start taking it out. Well, at that time, roll your Roth 401k over to a Roth IRA. Presto. Yep. Solved. No more required minimum distributions. That's right. That's right. So um, anything else? Like what, what are some of the other... Uh, ways that you could get around required minimum, or, or what are some other ways to manage required minimum distribution, even for IRAs, 401ks, that sort of stuff. I already mentioned one, um, the, you know, continuing to work, that's a way around it. What else? It, it Well, I, I don't know if this falls under the category of avoiding or, or postponing or anything like that, but managing, keeping it simple. We've talked in previous shows about why you would want to consolidate things, you know, get that Roth 401k into the Roth IRA so that RMDs don't have to happen. But even if you had a traditional IRA or traditional 401k, I'm sorry, rolling that over into your IRA also consolidates and keeps things simple so that when you have to take required minimum distributions, you're not having to pull it from multiple buckets. It helps you just kind of keep things um, tidy. Yeah. Anything you'd add, Kevin? Nope. Did did we hit the 5% owner thing? Go ahead. Well, so it does, that does not apply the... Um, while you're still working exception? Yeah, the while you're still working exemption if you are a 5% owner. It's 5%, not 2%? Well, that's what I'm looking at right yeah. now. Oh, so, that sounds okay. right. Yeah. 
So two percent owners, the HSA contribution, uh, and we've got a question about that from a fan. I hope we can hit that. So I I've thought about why why are we doing a show about this because this is a this is a show about financial planning, and I was thinking I don't Mike 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 must have been having a bad day, and he said let's torture these people because <laughs> because when you think about it, this is. These these concepts, you're like, well, who is it that has the Roth IRA that's 72 that needs to da 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 da? da. But all this to me, what this demonstrates is that there, you could be a a reasonably intelligent person who's able to apply logic. You know how a Roth IRA works. So what would you assume? Roth 401k works same way. Exact same way. This is not hard. So one of the things that I would even think about is once I hit 59 and a half, a lot of plans, you can roll money out of your plan at 59 and a half. So take that Roth 401k money, roll it into a a Roth IRA at 59 and a half, combine it with your existing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's value in simplicity and consolidating accounts. And yes, you get to avoid this weird, ridiculous, likely mistake uh, requirement for uh, a required minimum distribution on a Roth 401k. So move that thing to an IRA, work with your CFP on that. Got some other great questions from fans of the show. So a lot more to hit coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you own a home, you have more equity in your house, likely, unless you've done some sort of refinance or home equity line, more equity in your house right now than you ever have before. What do you do with it? It's the wise thing to do. We're hitting that and more right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. Just questions from fans of the show. Uh, we got two here from Aaron, or as uh, my friends Key and Peel say, Aaron. <laughs> and I, we believe now, Aaron, we've got a, a fan of the show uh, that uh, Kevin's going to be connecting with here in, in a little bit. I think both questions are similar themed. I think both from the same individual on the YouTube channel, uh, both about using your home equity line now or using your home equity. First question. Wondering how you feel about investing your home equity right now in this climate. Maybe the best time to do it. Now, I'm going to assume he means investing in the stock market, investing in stocks, not taking that equity and investing in, you know, a college education, something like that. Let's just assume it because maybe the best time to do it right now, i.e. market's been choppy, use that equity and buy into markets. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, yeah, so maybe you're implying that there's good buying opportunities uh, on the investment side, but I think the temptation is coming because people are realizing, hey, my house has run up in value so much, and there are so many people, like, it's almost everyone is saying, how do I cash in on this? How do I benefit from it? And a lot of people are like, should I just sell my house should I downsize now? Yeah. Should I buy something different? And it's all driven by just look how much my house is worth. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe not paying attention to the fact that, well, yeah, when you sell your house, you've got to buy a new house. And that look how much that one is worth right now. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing just, I don't know, it takes me back to the early parts of our careers when 
yeah, there was run up in value in many people's homes. And a lot of people started using their houses almost as giant ATMs, some of it to drive lifestyle, but often to drive investments. And um, I I think you need to be careful because, uh, yes, your house is up significantly. Do we think that house prices could come back down some? I don't know. It seems unlikely, but I I think that's what they said in 2007. I did want to ask you guys. I mean, this is is, so hot take. Do you think we're going to see a real estate crash? I don't think so. Don't think so? Okay. Kevin? You will in your career. Well, I, I guess so. You tell pers- me how long you're going to work, but I, but I right think, now though, yeah, I mean, fo- in the next year or two, following following this, this this wild run up and spike in prices. Do you think it's followed by you know what comes up must come down, and it can, it's going to come back to the normal trend? I I don't. I personally don't think so. I I think w- there are a few drivers that that could cause it to happen. One thing that could cause it to happen is interest rates, which went from. 2.7 a 30 year mortgage went from 2.75 to uh, now it's over 5. Yeah. yeah. So that in theory starts to kind of blunt the my willingness to say hey, I my offer is um, asking price, cash offer, no uh, inspections and I'll I'll go up to 50,000 over cuz those are the kinds of offers that are coming in yeah. on houses. I think that might change. Well, but part of what has to change it, because I was uh, I was at breakfast this week, and this the, there was a guy that was saying, "Well, we we should you should make it so that people can't make that kind of money on houses." I'm like, "Well, price controls have never worked. Right? Yeah. It will never work because because right now there's there's a couple factors at work. One is supply and demand. Yep. How much supply is there, and what is the demand? Mm-hmm. And then the other problem is is that this this whole uh, money printing operation, there's so much money floating around that it it has caused a, a, an increase. I would call it an asset bubble. And the question is, is that asset bubble going to pop? And I know there are a lot of people sitting here with some cash on the sidelines saying, I'm waiting for the bubble to pop. I'm waiting for the bubble to pop. And it might never pop. It, yeah. it might it might it be, be a slow l- letting out of the balloon yeah. a like little a, bit or. well or just kind of a a permanent reset mm-hmm. on the floor of the, so here's, ha- here's, the value of houses here's why i bring up the question on whether you guys think the market's going to crash because aaron your question about maybe the best time to do it yeah if you take josh's angle i i, I think josh you're interpreting it correctly yeah i've got so much equity it might be this is the right time to cash in well you would only do that if you didn't think the value was going to come back down. Right. Uh, otherwise, right. if you borrow right up to what could be an inflated value and things do come back down, you don't want to find yourself either evaporating all that equity or even going upside down. And that's when I think bubbles pop because real estate values will go up and down a little bit. I read a report last night from an economist who thinks actually we are, we are seeing uh, a stabilizing of housing prices. I haven't seen it yet. And he actually thinks price house prices will go down by two percent over the rest of the year. I haven't seen that. Well, you know, who knows? You know, I haven't seen it either. And I'm judging by the types of offers that my clients are getting beat out by. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, fifty thousand over list price, and we'll waive all inspections, and like crazy stuff is happening right now. Yeah, I I think part of that is driven by our particular geography. It might that might not be be the same across the country, but when you have the RV capital of the world in Elkhart County, 
and they have a 1% unemployment rate, that means there's probably 2 to 3% over there working that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I, I'm not saying that to be unkind, but I, um, I was just talking with a, a client, and, and they have a, um, a business, and they said, we're interviewing people that we would not have talked to five years ago. Yeah. And so it's, it is really super tough to find uh, great folks that can. But I, I think Kevin hit the nail on the head, though, in talking about what is driving current equity or the, the value of homes right now. Some of it is just supply and demand. There's just not enough inventory, so people are paying crazy high prices. But some of it also has been a reset because there's been so much printed money. And I, I think that printed money is what at least gives me a little bit of comfort that there's not a huge drop coming, maybe a little bit of a pullback, but does that create a bit of a, a floor? The other thing I would point to, it's still fresh in so many people's minds, the 2007 housing crisis that turned into a financial crisis. And that was driven by really crummy loans, um, mortgages that should not have been written, mm-hmm. and then all kinds of leverage by the banks above and beyond that. And I my my sense is that we're not back to that point where we're doing ridiculous loans that uh, the interest rate's going to reset higher, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think right now part of the supply problem goes back to the 08-09 crisis because there were a lot of contractors that went out of business yeah. back then, and they never went back into business. Mm-hmm. So the normal supply and demand curves um, changed kind of permanently as far as the supply goes because with these guys getting out of business, they might have gone to work at a Lowe's or Home Depot or done something else or go, go to work in a factory. So we're not putting the the supply on the market. But that isn't the question. The question to me is, should I ever take, what kind of risk should I take with home equity money? And mm-hmm. what is happening to the interest rates on my home equity line right now? That I'm glad you went there because that's something that, you know, going back to Aaron's question, should you use home equity to, to invest right now? Well, you're probably borrowing that money out. And if you're doing it at a variable interest rate, that's going to keep on rising potentially. Seems like a risky move to me. A risky time to do it. I mean, interest rates on your home equity line are a little bit higher today right now. Yes, equity markets have come down a little bit right now. I don't know when you're consuming this content, but it's volatile. But still, I don't think we've seen a crash yet. So uh, there's another. There's a follow-up question here about using your home equity line for other, uh, other purposes as well. So there's a little bit more that we're going to chew on with this and then hit some additional questions as well. So that more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Is there an opportunity you need to capture with the equity in your home? Either investing it in the market, investing it somewhere else, or do you stay disciplined and don't do anything? Would that be a foolish thing to do? We're hitting that right now and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Search YouTube or go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show and subscribe to us there. There's this show and a lot of other content that we post all throughout the work week. So you don't want to miss it. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to us there. Okay. So Aaron's asked, Aaron has asked a question uh, about if now's a good time to use your home equity line and invest it. But there's a 
tag along question from an errand that was provided a month earlier. My guess is it's the same one. And it's about using the equity in your home to as a down payment for another house. So taking the equity, the appreciation that you've got in your house, getting a home equity line, using that as a down payment for your next house and turning one of those into a rental. His question is, is taking the home equity line as a down payment for your forever house, that's where you're gonna live, and then turning your existing one into a rental. But I'm, I'm merging these together because we talked a lot about, well, I'll summarize. Right now, home prices have elevated significantly. They're through the roof, if you wanna mm -hmm. use the dad joke. Um, <laughs> are they gonna come crashing back down? Possible, we've seen it happen. It seems unlikely, at least right now, based on the fact pattern that we know today. Seems unlikely. Um, but still, out of principle, you don't want to go all the way up to the edge with your home equity line. I mean, you're supposed to be building equity in your house. That's how that's how this is supposed to work, unless you're a really high-risk taker and want to use leverage in a certain way and are very comfortable with that. Watch out. Just, just be careful. Um, so you've got equity in your house. Now, should you do anything with it? Should you invest it? Should you use it as a down payment for another house, turn one into a rental? Guys, let's get specific. What, what, what are your thoughts? I think there are a couple different scenarios here. One is a scenario where I've got a house that I'm that is my forever home, and I've got some equity in it, and I might want to borrow some equity out for a specific purpose. Um, and then the question is, well, that specific purpose is it speculative? I I would great question. I I would highly caution against taking money out of my house and speculating in the stock market. Because the question, the original question from A.A. Ron was, is this a good time? We don't know. We don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll know in hindsight. We'll be able to look back and say, man, that was the best time in the last 10 years to be investing. Mm -hmm. but, we, but we don't know that today. So based on not knowing that today, you, you would say, Aaron, that's not, just not a good idea. 20, like, uh, yeah, but when when you think back on history, the times that are the closest thing to a no-brainer opportunity to invest is when we are in the darkest, ugliest days of a bear market and everyone's running from from the hills. Yeah, but those aren't the no the those are not the no-brainer times to invest. <laughs> like when the market is at the tippy top, that's the no-brainer time to invest <laughs> because when the market is down in the dumps, like you're saying, Josh, everyone say. No I mean, you got Jim Cramer saying, "Sell, sell, sell, sell." That you know the market's going down to five thousand. You know this is a bad idea. Make sure you put your money in gold. I mean, all this crazy stuff, and you're like, wait a minute. Wait, so, so Aaron, if you're asking, should I take money out of my home equity line and invest it in the stock market? That tells me there's too much froth in the stock market, even though the market's down 10%-ish, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, yeah, no, I would not. I would not repurpose that money. I'd be open to repurposing it for potentially other purposes, but I don't think I would repurpose it in a in a volatile investment because if I took a hundred grand out of my house. And I put it in the market, and the market went down twenty percent. I my feelings would be really hurt, and you'd have yeah. a hard time explaining that one to your wife. <laughs> you, the market goes the market goes down twenty percent. If the market goes down twenty percent, you still have to make that payment on that home equity line, and your income might be at risk. I mean that. Yeah. Be, what, because, what else is happening in your life? as a result of that market decline or that economic hit. It, exactly. Usually if the market's going down that much, there's some jittering in in the economy. And mm -hmm. so, all right, so what about 
uh, wanting to make a house transition and using your home equity line to do it. So this is, in, in my mind, one of the purposes of having a home equity line of Absolutely. credit in place because mm -hmm. it sometimes can facilitate a transition point in your life where you need to access the equity out of your house. You need the cash for the down payment on the next house, but you haven't yet sold your existing house. Maybe you're not going to do that for a while, or in the case of Aaron's questions, uh, he's asking, well, maybe I'll never sell that house I'm leaving. Um, I'm going to rent it out, and, and that's a possibility as well. But I like the home equity line better as a transition tool than a funding of an investment tool. Um, and, and again, it's, it's one of the reasons why you need to have it in place, because when you're ready to put uh, the for sale sign in the yard, you can't put a home equity line uh, on that house anymore. You can't borrow against a house that is for sale. So again, this could be a way for you to access the cash as a, as a transition, but I wouldn't use it to fund a rental property. Yeah. And now you basically have the three loans against two houses. One of them is borrowed up to the hilt and think about the monthly payments on that rental house now. You, you've got your original mortgage that you're leaving behind. You now have a home equity line payment as well, and you're collecting rent. Maybe the rent will cash flow that. I, I don't know. You'd have to crunch the numbers, but it seems doubtful to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with the rent, counting on the rent to cash flow that, is what happens when things change. Because I had clients that when, oh, this was probably 20 years ago, and they changed the property tax method in Indiana, and the hundred or two hundred dollars a month that they were cash flowing now went to property taxes. So they were either breaking even or underwater. Hmm. And um, they they started unwinding the stuff. Well, if you've ever played the game of Monopoly, mm -hmm. if you buy a house and then you need to sell it back to the bank, the bank gives you half mm -hmm. of of what the value of the house is worth. So I'm like, because there's this, you know, there's lots of things and and kind of a if you're in if you're into real estate, the the um, you know, the, the Burr method of real estate, the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are like, hey, do that thing. And I'm like, well, be careful uh, about how far extended you get. Debt is a tool. Leverage is a tool. But when you get too far out over your skis, unless you're great at doing flips and landing on your skis, you're likely going headfirst into the snowbank. I wouldn't have said it exactly that way because – Good analogy, but it didn't come to me. But I would have said that exact same thing. And what you're saying, Aaron, this is how people get into rental real estate investing. This is one of the paths in. Is this right for you? Do you or will doing this get you too overextended? This is we we haven't mentioned it yet as we've talked about home equity line of credit. It's a comprehensive financial planning decision. You've got to look at all six areas of your financial life and say, well, is would this would be a step of risk? Would doing so disrupt our entire financial plan because if they if you can't rent the house you've got to pay the mortgage that pain of the mortgage is money that then is not going towards your Roth 401k your Roth IRA towards retirement does is that okay temporarily in your financial plan you've got to run those miles take a look and go back to the original question the the question was should I use home equity line to invest in the stock market well I would ask the same question when you're asking, should I should I use my home equity line to invest in the housing market? Hey, where do you think the housing market is today? Yeah, it's Did, totally connected. Right. right? Well, do you think the housing market is uh, is in a bubble? Because I, I'm not opposed to using some sort of leverage to buy a house 
that is a, a sheriff sale, a short sale, a foreclosure. Like I know, something I could, you're buying right. Right, I know that I could I could shop this thing to you guys tomorrow, and you'd say, well, yeah, I'd buy that house for that. Lots of people's people with rentals are looking at. Well, should I sell this thing right now? I know rents are up, but should I should I sell this thing? I can't believe I could sell it for that much. So yeah, you've got to consider that is now the right entry point into the rental real estate market. All right, we've got more questions from fans of the show. That more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Go check it out. I don't care where you listen. It really doesn't matter. It just go wherever you, wherever you listen to podcasts. Search the Wise Money Show and subscribe to us there or follow. I don't know which platform you're at. They, they both are options. But then do me a favor. When you're there, rate the program. Uh, that We appreciate that. And it also helps uh, other folks that are looking for content about financial principles, wise financial principles. It helps them find us. So uh, go to wherever you listen to podcasts, search the Wise Money Show, and subscribe. Follow us there. All right, we're in a question from fans of the show. Got a great one here from Brian. And the question, the question really is, man, how long are we going to talk about this? Because it is a great question. <laughs> here's, here's what he said. Here's what he asked. Can I contribute enough into my pre-tax 401k to bring my income below the maximum limits? So he interprets this. If I gross 125000 does the five grand that I put into my pre-tax 401k allow me to still fund my Roth IRA for the maximum amount of $6,000? Great question. Who's kicking it off? Okay, um, so let's talk generalities here first. I, I think what Brian is uh, hinting at is that, yeah, there are things that you could do with your paycheck at work to get your income down to levels that suddenly open up new possibilities on your tax return, other contributions you could be making, other tax savings, tax credits, all, all kinds of things. We're always paying attention to what income level is actually landing on the tax return. And that's one of the beauties of... A 401k at work is one of the best ways to save money on your taxes is never let the income land on the tax return to begin with. Mm -hmm. So your 401k helps reduce your income that that shows up uh, as wages. Same thing, you know, if you have a health savings account at work, that's another type of a tool that you could be pulling off the top pre-tax, reducing your income, and now making yourself more eligible. But I, I was looking more closely at the details. Uh, so what Brian is also referencing is that if your income goes too high, eventually you get ruled out from being able to contribute to a Roth IRA. And 125000 is the number mm -hmm. for a, a uh, married couple. Um, but no, 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 no. Stop. It's, it's, so it's 129 to 144 for a single. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Well, we don't know if he's married, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm guessing he's yeah, probably single. he's probably single. So whether he's eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA, um, it, there's probably some ladies out there thinking he's very eligible. <laughs> uh, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah, I think 129 to 144 for for, 2000, for 2022. For 2022, yep. and then for a, a married filing jointly, 
couple. It's 204 to 214. You're not going to remember that, but here's the no, deal. Right. Remember the strategy because yeah. this absolutely works. The, yeah. Yes, you do yeah. this. Yes, you contribute pre-tax to your 401k to get your income down to a certain level so that you're then allowed, you get other tax benefits. That is the name of the game. And because your income changes a little bit every year, and because as we just bored you with, these uh, the income <laughs> the income limits change every single year, You this is part of the strategy. This is part of tax planning to see, okay, wait a second, what's changing this year? Now is my income going to drift a little bit above this threshold? What pre-tax items can I fund to bring my income below that threshold so I can still do these other things? But it that's not it. Josh mentioned one, you could also fund an HSA to get your income down below this If level. you're eligible. If you're eligible, mm-hmm. you could just fund a Roth 401k, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, but honey, that doesn't help you at all with your ringing your. I know, but down. it does uh, get you to I, that objective. I think his point is, yeah, I want to get more money into a Roth something or other. I'm not eligible if my income stays too high, but on the Roth 401k, we, we sure. don't care about the the Ex- income limit. Exactly. Right. That's a good and, point. And so, if you have that available, if you've got it available, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other? things that you could do to bring your adjusted gross income down. Some of the things that we, so HSA, we already hit pre-tax 401k. We hit uh, not eligible for an IRA. If you're, if your uh, income's in that threshold, um, do you have, uh, are you self-employed? Do you have side income? I mean, if you're, you mentioned your gross is, is 125. Does that include any side income? If so, Maybe you're eligible for a deduction of some health insurance or a deduction for um, some self-employment tax. Hopefully your tax software captures that as well. But there could be there's not a ton of above the line deductions, but there there could be there could be some. But I think to answer your question, Brian, if you do a deduction of your income, if you make too much to contribute beyond a certain threshold and you use the 401k to reduce your taxable income, that will get you below the threshold and make you eligible yeah. to contribute. His question was a can I, and we kind of went to, well, should you? And uh, because there may be some years where actually, if you've got six grand extra lying around, maybe you need to take your 401k contributions up even higher and basically uh, essentially contribute that 6000 out of your paycheck Mm-hmm. into the 401k. Mm-hmm. Maybe it brings you down into a level where your kid that's going off to college is getting more financial aid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe maybe you become more eligible again for some of the other tax savings that are out there. So this is why when you're making decisions on should I uh, related to anything in the tax code, you want to be doing it in the context of your financial plan, which includes a tax projection. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, run the scenarios. Should I? It's based on, well, what are the, what's the ultimate end game here? Am I achieving what I want? And is the tax picture going to turn out the way that I intend? But it also, so the other area that it really includes is your budget. Yeah. Because the, the can I and should I, well, do you have the resources? And I, I was talking to a, a client yesterday and he said, listen, Dave Ramsey's the best. I, and I'm I'm so used to clients saying Mike Bernard's the best that <laughs> oh I, I so I'm listening and he and he says Dave Ramsey's the best and he says you know at, at, at age fifty I listened to Dave Ramsey and I uh, paid off my mortgage and you know all this stuff and I'm like sweet and so I asked the question my favorite question for the Dave Ramsey fans so do you have a budget 
And he's like, no. And I, and, and this is where I'm like, if you love Dave Ramsey, like do Dave a favor and put yourself <laughs> on a budget. <laughs> so you be, because, almost sounded like him if you started yelling and, uh, and insulted him in some way. Yeah. Is that your attempt at a Tennessee accent there? No, I don't know. I, and I'm, I'm not going to be old yeller. I, I just, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to be that guy because here's the thing. We're lovers and we want to serve people and help people. But really, if you said, Hey, I, um, I want to do myself a favor. If you, if you, Treat yourself as someone you really care about, and if you really cared about yourself, get yourself on a budget. Yeah, and and because that will tell you, do I have the resources to fund the four hundred one k in a pretext or a Roth? That's right. Love the question, Brian. It opens the door to so much, so many planning opportunities. We hit a couple. I would probably give us a grade of a C plus on answering that, but love the idea of contributing pre-tax to bring your adjusted gross income below a certain threshold to open up more tax opportunities available to you. Work with your CFP to see whether all of this should be going Roth and you should use 401k or, or, or really what the overall tax shelter strategy is. We've done some shows on that. Work with your CFP on that. Next question comes from a fan of the show who we're a fan of his YouTube name, Big Tony or Big Tony. Um, hey, if... <laughs> What if I'm 62 years old and I do a Roth conversion? I've already had a Roth IRA for over five years. Do I need to wait five years before I can withdraw the growth tax-free? So is there one five-year rule or are there two five-year rules? Uh, or are there three, technically? Right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a bunch. And um, so you're wise to at least recognize that there is a five-year period that we're often talking about. But when it comes to Roth conversions, um, each conversion that you do has its own five-year period that you've got to wait before you can access the growth back out and have it be completely tax-free. Am yep. I saying that right? Yep. Um, the fact that you're over age 59 and a half, so you're 62, Tony, um, you've already paid the tax when you move the money from the IRA to the Roth. And um, so you're not going to pay tax on that money again. It's just the growth that accumulates in the five-year period of time. You, you've got to let that simmer, let it grow before you start accessing that piece. Yeah. What, what else so, would you add, Kevin? I, I would add I love the simplicity of the tax. <laughs> yeah, right. It just makes so much sense. No, think about that. When, when you're doing that conversion and you take $10,000 from your traditional IRA to your Roth IRA, it sits on a conveyor belt for five years. And so, and so that's, but it, it, it's, it, it's so, it's so confusing. I would just say, let your, let your certified financial planner just kind of walk you through this. And, um, I, I think big Tony, it's like, this is a, like a big splitting headache. Type so of a question. the question also for some of you creative folks would say, well, how's the IRS going to know they, they've got a stopwatch. How are they going to know? And, uh, you know, they can figure it out. These forms, they're called 5498s, where you report what your balance is on your IRA and your 401k, or excuse me, your IRA and your Roth IRA every single year. These are tax forms that typically you, you don't even need to use to prepare your return, typically. Sometimes you do. But yeah, that shows your balance each year. 
And so the IRS can see whether you've had a Roth IRA. And then if you did a Roth conversion, that's reported on a certain tax year. And then if you make a withdrawal, that's reported on a 1099. So and if you make a contribution, that's reported on 8606. Yeah. So you because you're tracking your basis in your Roth IRA, you want to track your basis, especially if you're younger than 59 and a half, because the, the Roth IRA is unique in that at any point in time, I can access my basis. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, the government wants you to take money out of your Roth IRA um, because that, that, that there's less to grow tax free. That's right. Uh, you know, it's worth maybe just uh, recapping also that there is another five-year rule that applies with Roth IRAs. And it gets confusing because, as we said, when you're converting money to a Roth IRA, that's one way to get money into the Roth. You take IRA dollars and, and convert them into Roth. That has its own five-year clock ticking each time you do a conversion. So if yeah. you do one every year, you may have multiple five-year periods uh, rolling. But when you're contributing money to a Roth IRA, so you earned a a paycheck in a year, you make a contribution, it just goes straight into the Roth, that begins one singular five-year period uh, ticking. Mm -hmm. So you you don't have to, every time you contribute to a Roth IRA, start that stopwatch, as, as Mike was saying. No, it goes back to the year that you first opened it. So again, they don't make this easy, do they? And there's... There's a lot of amazing ways you can utilize a Roth IRA in your financial plan if you know the rules and your certified financial planner is there to make sure it's working for you. And we've shared this before. Uh, youngsters out there, or those of you that have kids that have earned income, put 50 bucks into a Roth IRA and get that thing started. Get that five, get that first five-year rule done and so you don't have to think about it again. Thanks for the questions. Great questions. Thanks for providing them. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, All of us at Corhorn Financial Group have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show at Corhorn Financial Group. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show. Start the timer. Whoa. (laughs) Nope. I was. Okay. Blooper reel. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.